Well, hello, I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth. And perhaps predictably, last week's email about ministry in the year of COVID-19 generated quite a bit of interest. Thanks to everyone who's signed up to The Painful Truth, and if you haven't done so already, please do so. It's really the only reliable way to keep getting it. But thanks, too, to the many people who got in touch by email or in the comments section uh, to express their views, like this message from Peter Scholl, who's a CMS missionary in Mexico. I have wondered if our automatic we-have-to-broadcast reaction has indicated our over-reliance on centralised-slash-professional ministry instead of a preparedness for one-to-one -one ministry. And yes, Peter, that's largely what I was getting at, that this current circumstance, with its very unusual features, and it's a very sudden withdrawal of all our normal structures for public ministry has kind of exposed that our trellises, our ministry trellises, are very focused on larger structures like the Sunday gathering. And we haven't put as much effort or thought into what smaller or more intimate ministry trellises might look like, such as one-to-one -one or smaller groups. And this week's edition is a follow-up on that subject about the power and possibilities of one another ministry in these difficult times. And it includes one practical suggestion to think about next. Well, in my part of the world, the churchly response to COVID-19 has been swift and in my view, very responsible and largely admirable. Like many of you, our Sunday gatherings have been cancelled at my church and church staff have moved very quickly to put together online versions of church and have done so, I think, extraordinarily well in the limited time available. Uh, in many places, too, small groups have also been put on ice, although churches are making different decisions about that. But I suspect it won't be very long before most small groups in most churches have ceased to function, at least for the time being. And again, the suggestion is that we move those small groups online as best we can. No doubt virtual church gatherings and virtual small groups will help, and no doubt we'll all learn to make the best of them over the next few months. But the reason that many of us are concerned, and I certainly am, about the spiritual consequences of these decisions, and they're absolutely right and responsible decisions, is that virtual church and virtual small groups are virtual in one sense, but not the other. The word virtual has two main meanings. It means, on the one hand, pretty much the same, as in, I was virtually exhausted, I was, or I was virtually dependent on her for everything. But it also means the simulation or extension of something through software, as in a virtual disk or a virtual meeting. And the problem is that virtual church is not virtually church. And virtual small groups are not virtually small groups. And I think we all believe this, that there is something different, that there is something missing when we move online. I think we believe this because otherwise we probably would have all gone online years ago. It's certainly a much cheaper and easier and more efficient if we all just stayed home and consumed church online virtually. But when we try to express what exactly is missing in a virtual church or a virtual small group, it can be hard to put into words. It's the power of personal presence, of experiencing other people, of being with them as embodied persons. That is what we are. We're embodied creatures. 
of seeing other people and listening to them, of speaking face to face, of being one of a whole group of voices who are raised together, whether it's in confession or prayer or song, it's being together in a way that a virtual gathering isn't. It's the kind of thing the Apostle Paul means, I think, when he prays in, in 1 Thessalonians 3, most earnestly night and day he prays that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. There was something about a personal get-together, a personal encounter with them that even his letter, his letter of 1 Thessalonians, didn't supply. It's what John is referring to as well, I think, in that lovely little verse in 3 John 14. It's the verse that I'm thinking I might add to my email signature. It says, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. There's a power and encouragement and joy in personal presence that a letter or a podcast or a virtual meeting somehow can't supply. And this is why we are understandably concerned about the spiritual effects and consequences of prolonged periods when this is not happening, where we are not meeting together as a church or as a group face to face for what could very well be months. Now, in last week's Painful Truth, I did talk about this, about the importance of one another ministry in this context and how the lack of one another culture in our churches can often be exposed at times like this. But on a more positive vein, can anything actually be done about this? What could we do at this point to promote and build a one anothering culture in this new disconcerting reality we find ourselves in? Well, with a bit of caution, I'd like to offer a practical suggestion. And I'm cautious for a number of reasons. Obviously, because things are still changing pretty rapidly. And I've found that something that people confidently assert one day tends to be outdated tomorrow, or if not next week. And I'm also cautious because we're still getting our bearings, I think, in this new reality and calibrating what loving, reasonable, responsible behavior actually looks like and what, on the other hand, is, is paranoid or an overreaction. And I'm cautious because I know that different Christians and churches face distinct challenges and will quite rightly come to different decisions and conclusions about all these things. But with those caveats in place, could we open a conversation about the benefits of face-to-face -face groups of just three or four Christians? You might call them triplets or quads or clumps or even cadres, but for convenience I'm just going to call them in what follows Bible clusters. And what I'm interested in is this. What might it look like and what would be the advantages if over the coming weeks and months, with appropriate caution and appropriate conversation, we gathered people in our congregations into small, regular, face-to-face -face Bible clusters? Now, if it was the same three or four people meeting regularly, and I think that would be important, and if appropriate precautions were enforced, hand washing and no touching and appropriate distancing and so on, then the risk of viral transmission would be very low, certainly well below any current advice uh, that we're getting from the health authorities about what kinds of activities or gatherings should be avoided. Now, this may change, of course. Things may tighten further. I wonder whether they'll tighten so much that a gathering of three would be outlawed. But whatever the case, it's no reason for us not to start this conversation and to make some plans. 
A cluster in this context is probably better than a one-to-one. -one. It's more robust, it's a little more stable, There's, there are a few other people to hold it together if, if I start to get wobbly. It's also less relationally intense than a one-to-one, -one, and that can be very valuable in this sort of context, especially for those who are not used to meeting this way. And yet, a group of three or four really does provide a very nice personal level of, of interaction. Clusters like these could most simply be formed, it seems to me, out of existing small groups. They're already there, they already exist, and this is not only sensible organisationally, but provides a level of oversight or pastoral control. Pastors could work with small group leaders to put together clusters out of existing groups that each contain at least one mature Christian, for example. That would be a good idea, to hold the little group together to prevent it going toxic, because that can happen, and to report back to the small group leader if there are particular issues to address. Now, the basic function of Bible clusters like this would be to keep our people connected with God and with each other around his word, in personal presence with one another. And multiple possibilities exist for us to help and resource our people to do this kind of thing. Uh, it could be a very simple meeting. For example, they could simply gather to read the Bible together and pray using something like the Swedish method, which many of you know about, or the COMA approach, which I personally prefer. A COMA stands for Context Observation Meaning Application, a little simple method for working your way through a Bible passage. Uh, and you can find details about both of those things, the Swedish method and the COMA approach online uh, at Tim Challey's website. Um, he's got a, a very nice little summary of the Swedish method if you just search Tim Challey's Swedish method. And also you can find a good description of the Coma method outlined in David Helm's little book, One-to-One -one Bible Reading. Bible clusters like this could also utilise purpose-written material that is put together by the church staff as the basis for discussion, perhaps connected to the current sermon series, perhaps even in video form. Uh, little clusters like this could also avail themselves of, of the cornucopia of Bible study resources that my favourite publisher, Matthias Media, uh, has. For this context, I suspect something like the Daily Reading Bible series or the Pathway Bible Guide series uh, will be particularly suitable, and you can find those at the Matthias Media website, matthiasmedia.com.au. Uh, or the group could read together David Helm's excellent little book, One-to-One -one Bible Reading, which not only explains the benefits of this kind of interpersonal Bible reading interaction, but gives lots of simple, helpful guidelines that are just as useful for a group of three or four as they are for a one-to-one. -one. And it occurs to me that with many churches now broadcasting or live-streaming their Sunday services, small Bible clusters like this could be a really useful way to improve the effectiveness of these times. Perhaps rather than church and small groups being different structures in our week, perhaps creatively we might end up fusing them together in some way, where the pastor broadcasts some teaching and encouragement, and where small clusters gather together to listen, to read the passages and interact over them, to pray together, where what is broadcast or live-streamed takes place within a context also of personal face-to-face -face interaction. There are lots of creative possibilities, including various combinations of the above. Now, I'm under no illusion that this small Bible cluster idea is is so brilliant or is the solution to all our problems. Uh, for one thing, there will be some church members and leaders who conscientiously think differently about this, about the wisdom 
of even this minimal level of face-to-face -face meeting and we need to allow each other the freedom to make different decisions about these things as churches and as individuals within our churches. If we were to start using small Bible clusters in some way, even allowing time to talk and think this through carefully together, there would doubtless be congregation members who felt uncomfortable in some way to participate. All the same, in the understandable rush to take all our gatherings and activities online, and I'm for that, I'm keen that we not overlook the power and importance of actually meeting together regularly in the name of Jesus, even in a number as small as two or three. Now, I'd love your thoughts and feedback on this one. Do you think small Bible clusters are a good idea in this current climate? How would it potentially work where you are? Would it be better to link two couples or households together rather than three or four individuals? Do you have any other ideas or resources that could really help this work? Let's have a conversation about this. You can either send me an email or contribute to the comment thread that's under the article on the Painful Truth website. I'm Tony Payne. Thanks for being with me this week on The Painful Truth. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.